I would invite you to turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13, as we just slowly move along in this passage, it is such a blessing to my own heart to study this book. It's so good to know what's going to happen in the future. And we can know that, folks. We can know this. This is as true as if it has already taken place. This is the Word of God that we handle here. Dare not take that for granted. Revelation chapter 13, I'll begin reading in verse 11. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. He exercised all authority of the first beast in his presence, and he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. He performed great signs so that the so that he was he even makes fire come down out of heaven in the presence of of men and he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs with which it was given to him to perform in the presence of the beast telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image of the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life And it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast would even speak. And because as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And he caused all the small and the great and the rich and the poor and the free man and the slave to be given a mark upon their right hand or on their forehead, and he provides that no one will be able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom, that him who understands calculate the number of the beast, for the number is that of a man, and his number is 666. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, it is a blessing to be able to stand before these people and just open your word and just say what you have said and just try to explain it and try to apply it to our lives. Lord, it's so, it's profound to to be able to, to know what's going to happen in the future. And Lord, may we live our lives in light of this truth that we have. It is truth. And Lord, may we govern our lives, our thoughts, in light of what we read here today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Jesus refused, when he was on earth, he refused to be caught up in the politics of this world. Whether it was the the Jewish leaders, they were always trying to pull him into some kind of debate and trap him with his words or... They were on the outskirts of his teaching on the perimeter and they were whispering among themselves and conspiring on how to bring him down. Uh, And they were vying for the control, for influence, the hearts of the people. And he would have none of that. And, And they would have to use deceit and intrigue and covert actions ultimately to bring him down. And that's what they did. In fact, Christ confronted their actions essentially at the end when they come at night in the in the cover of darkness they come and get him they have their uh, uh, legions of soldiers people or soldiers there and and they come to get him in Luke chapter 22 and he says 
Look, I, I was in the temple every day in teaching. Why didn't you why didn't you arrest me then? No, they had to do it under the cover of darkness. They had to build evidence and they had to, to spring it on him at the last minute. And this is underhanded. It's just politics. And Jesus would have none of it. Instead of just every, uh, you know, daily speaking, like we, we uh, mentioned on Thursday night. We, by the way, we missed many of you. There was a wonderful time in the appreciation banquet. Remember that for next year. It was a great time together. But I mentioned in Roman, in Ephesians chapter 4, just speaking the truth in love. Just every day, just a common thing. It's, it's what they did. But they did not do that. They would hold it up and boy, they sprung it on him. Just politics. They were always playing politics in the, in the background. Even the people at one point, they wanted to make Jesus as king. And I mean, he was doing some miracles and he could feed people. And hey, let's make this guy king. And Jesus would not get pulled into that. He would not get caught up into that. Even his own disciples. His own disciples were saying, oh, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Who's going to sit on his right hand and sit on his left? And, and they were playing these power games even within themselves, among themselves. And they, James and John had to get their mother and went and asked. And that's just embarrassing. It has no place within the Christian life. It's not really the heart of the Christian. This heart is a heart that's controlling it just wants to control. It wants power. It wants, it wants its influence. I want things done my way. Essentially, we think we're God. And we play these political games. And it's like, who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to be the influence? That's foolish. That is not the heart of a believer. But it is the heart of Satan. That's exactly the way Satan had to manipulate and had to, uh, had to take Christ down, like I said. But Christ would have no part of it. He would never get pulled into their power struggles. He would answer their questions and move on and just let them play their games. Jesus went about teaching the gospel. That's what he did. Preaching the gospel. He just simply presented truth. And some people responded. Many people did not. Some people responded. Those who responded, Jesus saw them as gifts from God. They were gifts from God. Satan, on the other hand, has to play those political games. He has to lie and he has to deceit and he has to or deceive and he has to play the political games of intrigue. And he's really good at it. He's good at it. I saw a lot of this when I was with Capital Ministries. It was interesting. We had a, a ministry at the state capital, Pennsylvania. And I had a ministry with the House and Senate members and the staff. And there was a lot of people that worked there. But it was all about politics. It was all about influence and dominance. And you just kind of get tired of that after a while. And you see enough of that. And you see, you know that there's corruption involved. When I left, there was a whole host of them that went to prison. And uh, there was always that joke that, yeah, I could turn capital ministries into prison ministry. It's a pre-prison ministry, maybe, or something like that. But there's intrigue. It's politics. That's the way Satan has to work. He is, he is a counterfeiter. Now, last week we saw that uh, he counterfeit. He tries to counterfeit. In the last days, he tries to counterfeit the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Last week we were introduced to the second person of the Trinity. As the theologians call it, this unholy Trinity. And this is the, the Antichrist. This is the counterfeit to the real Christ, the Son of God. We are introduced to him. And this passage here in verse 11 to 18, we're introduced to the counterpart to the Holy Spirit. 
the Holy Spirit. And that's a false prophet as he's labeled in Revelation chapter 19. Now, the Holy Spirit has a different role in the Godhead, and his role is to convict people of sin. He's kind of in the background. He does work. He convicts people of sin. He he, um, cultivates people's hearts toward Christ. He softens their heart. He makes them notice their own sin. And if you are a believer, you know the work of the Holy Spirit's work in your life. And it's very subtle. He does not draw attention to himself. He is about exalting Christ. He's constantly pointing to Christ. And that's what we see with the ministry of the false prophet. He's constantly pointing to the Antichrist. And Satan uses them both, the Antichrist and the false prophet, to deceive the world and to gain worship. Now, that's what Satan wants. That's his goal, is to gain worshipers. And he wants the whole world, everyone on this earth, worshiping him. Worshiping him. And to do that, his power does not lie in the truth. In fact, he has to twist the truth. He has to uh, uh, alternate reality. He has to change reality, change at least our perception of reality. Satan himself is living a lie. He really does. He thinks more highly of himself than he ought to think. He's living a lie. And he changes our perception of the truth to gain worship. That's exactly what he had to do with Eve. He just raised a question with Eve. Has God really said? And in that, he deceived her. He just changed reality just a little bit. Question God's character. And that's what he does. Now, the question I want us to look at today is, how does this false prophet cause people to worship this Antichrist? How is it done? How does he do that? Ultimately, they're worshiping Satan. Now, there's three things that I want you to see in this passage. The first is the uh, a description of this Antichrist, the description of his character. And then, then we see... A look at how he operates. That's what's interesting. And then we have the effect of his success. Look at verse 11. We're going to look at the description of his character. Here's the description of his character. Verse 11. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. There's a lot in that. There's a the, John is recording this for us, and he sees this this beast coming out. Now, this is compared to the first beast. This is another beast, and, and the, the word "another" there is a, another of the same kind, just like the first beast. Some people think it is an ideology. Some people think it's a government raised up or or uh, uh, some institution, but it's just like the other beast, and that is a person. Another of the same kind. It's a person that rises up out of the earth. Now, the Antichrist came out of the sea. And the sea is in the ancient world, is, is a, there's turbulence. It was a dangerous place. It was foreboding and mysterious and, and scary place. And that was the Antichrist come up out of the sea. But this one comes out of the earth. And the, the picture here is that he is a little bit more subdued. He's a little bit more subtle. More gentle, less overpowering, if you will, than the Antichrist. The psychologist of today would call him passive-aggressive, if you believe in those kinds of terminology. But he has two horns. Now, he's not grotesque like the first beast. He, he looks kind of normal, like a little lamb. Like a little lamb. He's harmless. Maybe a little pet. But yet, 
he says, now this is just completely out of character. This little lamb, this soft little fuzzy creature, he spoke as a dragon. He's a dragon. He was Satan's mouthpiece, if you were. He is a false prophet. He subtly deceives. He's very meek and mild and, and gentle and, and winsome and persuasive, if you want to use that term. And he lures people into worshiping this antichrist, this vile, satanic dictator, world dictator, by the way. He's meek and mild, and yet he has the voice of hell. We would call him a wolf in what? A wolf in sheep's clothing. And he deceives the world. Everyone in the world. How does he do it? We don't know. He's, he, maybe he's real. They're amazed at him. They're amazed. But what's really amazing is that there's some people that see through him. Some people that, that don't worship him. And those are the Christians. They recognize him and they oppose him. They oppose him. They have discernment. They have discernment. And that discernment comes because of the Word of God. They know Scripture. Let me show you one verse. Matthew chapter 24, verse 24, Jesus said this, False Christ and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders. They're going to do some tricks. They're going to be great, amazing things. So as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Now, it's impossible, but if it were possible, these signs and wonders are going to be so great that even the believers will fall. Even the believers will follow and worship this beast. But it's impossible. Because they see through it. They see through it. Christians know the Word of God. And these believers, at least in the New Testament, the uh, tribulation period, they know the Word of God enough to look at a lamb, soft, cuddly lamb, and see the dragon. Now, folks, we've got to do the same thing today. There's a lot of lambs out there. There's a lot of dragons out there that look like lambs. There is. There just is. And we have to listen to the words that they say, compare them to Scripture. We have to notice their value system. We have to look at their character. We have to be able to look past Satan's facade. And that's all it is. It's a lie. It's a deception. It's a facade that he puts on. We have to be able to, to look past the, the smiling face and the wavy hair. We have to look past the opulence. We have to look past, not on the other side of the scale, we have to look past this down-home genuineness and this simple dress and this false uh, humility. And that can be just as deceptive, folks. It's appealing to us. It's appealing to us. But we have the privilege of knowing the Word of God and being secure in the Word of God, and that overcomes the evil one. Now, I had the privilege of seeing some of the first eyeglasses that were ever made. I guess Benjamin Franklin invented them. I don't know whether this is in a museum in Philadelphia or I just saw it in a picture book or something like that. I don't know. But he had an extension in the first pair. He had just an extension, these just glasses. They were just glass. but And, and he had a little extension that you had flipped the one lens down. It was a, uh, a magnifying lens. And that's exactly what we have, folks. We can flip that lens down and we can see more crystal clear than the world. The world is going to be deceived. They're going to see the little lamb. Only the little lamb. We've got to look past that. We've got to see the dragon. And folks, like I said, there's a lot of dragons out there. 
There's a lot of false teachers out there that would love to... And what they do is they deceive, they mishandle the word of God, and they will lead us astray. And the character that we see then of this lamb, this sweet little lamb, is that is the same character of Satan. It's the dragon speaking. Believers recognize that. Let's look at how he operates. This is in verse 12, 12 to 15. It says, and he exercised all the authority of the first beast in his presence. Now, the in his presence means just under his authority. You need to understand that. In his presence was the Antichrist delegated his authority to the false prophet. And he carried out his orders. And, and he was probably more palatable, easier to listen to, easy for the people to follow than this brash Antichrist. But the source is still the same, folks. The source is Satan himself. The source is Satan. And everyone worships this beast. And he makes the earth and those who dwell to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. Now remember that. His fatal wound was healed. It looked like he had been had a sword wound or been killed and, and he had come back to life. Now this is perfect imitation of the resurrected Christ. That's exactly what Satan wants us to see. And they want everybody to worship him just like we worship Christ. But it's a counterfeit. This is not the Christ. This is an antichrist. The world worships him. And this is, this is worldwide worship. This is a one world religion, essentially. Satan has political control. We saw that in the past. We've seen that he has now economic control. And now he has religious control. Of the world, and this is during this tribulation time. And you say, how does he do that? How can he influence that many people? And the key word is in verse 14. It says, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth. Those earth dwellers. He uses deception. And the word deception here is to wonder. To, to be in awe of. Wow. Wow. It's amazing. And he deceives those earth dwellers. That's the technical term for the unbelievers, those earth dwellers, those who dwell on the earth. Not the believers, because we see they still oppose him. But these earth dwellers, that phrase is mentioned eight times throughout the book of Revelation. And they are deceived. In fact, one of the commentaries said, I, I like this, the unbelieving world was eager to believe the deceiving lies propagated by the false prophets. They, they don't have the discernment and they're just following. They're just followers. They just are eager to just buy up any kind of explanation. And folks, as we saw last time in 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, this is, this is God's judgment. This is part of God's judgment. Letting man buy into his own lies or buy into the lies of Satan. And uh, right now he's being held back. But that's part of God's judgment is just to let man go his way. See, well, how does he deceive? How does he pull off this deception? He does it by two ways. Look at verse 13. And he performs great signs so as, so that the, so that he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. Everybody sees it. And they see this. In fact, the terminology that's used here, the verb that's used is a, is a continuous action. They can, they can do this at will. They can make fire come down or he can make fire come down out of heaven. That's an amazing thing. Only God does that. 
We see that that is an act of God. In Genesis chapter uh, 19, God consumes a, a fire out of heaven. He consumes a whole city, a couple of cities, actually. We see jo- um, Elijah. Uh, he was before these uh, false prophet, and they were trying to get fire coming down out of heaven, but they couldn't. But Elijah, he was able to do that. And the two witnesses, if you look over at chapter 11 and verse 5, remember they had that ability to bring fire down out of heaven. But somehow, Satan can uh, do a supernatural sign. And he can fool people. He can trick people. This is a counterfeit. And he has the Antichrist and this false prophet to, to pull this off. So, fire from heaven. The second thing that he uses is this image. Now, this is really interesting. I don't quite understand it. But let's just go through it a little bit. In verse 14, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the sign which it had been given to him. Now, by the way, this is, this is given to him. So apparently this is either demonic power, or satanic power, but it's under God's control. God is still in control. It's given to him to perform in the presence of the beast, under the authority of the beast, and telling those who dwell on the earth to make a statue to the beast who has the wound of a sword. So we see a little bit more about that. Wound of the sword has come back to life. He has uh, demonstrated this power over death and he's come back to life. And he says, now, I want everybody to make this little image. So they make the little image. And he causes this image in verse 15. He gives to him and it was given to him. Now, again, this is probably some kind of supernatural power given to him to give breath to the image of the beast. Breath. Now, it's not life, zoe in the Greek. It's not bios in the Greek. No, this is pneuma. This is spirit. I don't know how this works. I don't know how this... I don't know if this is um, some kind of um, uh, computer chip that he uh, puts in or or some way he causes them to... Or or if it might be demon uh, activity. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what it is. But I did see this week, just something interesting, um, a, uh, a sound wave tattoo that you can have on your arm or have you know, on your body. And you just hold your cell phone up to it and it, uh, and it reads and, and you can actually hear the voice of the person that was recorded that sound. I thought that's pretty interesting. And somehow he is able to bring spirit to this, or, or maybe it's just robotics, some kind of special effects. He's even able to make it speak, he says, so that it even speaks. It speaks. How is that? I don't know. It's tricks, some kind of trick or some kind of demonic activity. But it causes the world to worship this image. Man, he's amazing. This beast is amazing. He can, he can raise from the dead. And in fact, he can make a little beast. And we worship that little beast. And that's the image. And this becomes the line of demarcation. This is exactly what Satan wants. He wants worship. And you worship this image. You worship this image. You live. The beast and even speak and causes as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. You do not worship this image. You're killed. Away with you. It's a line of demarcation. And he causes the whole world to worship this beast. Now this is, 
this antichrist. Now, not everybody buys into it. Like I said, the believers don't. And not everyone is killed. We see later on, we'll see that there are those Christians that are able to, to withstand this three and a half year period and come through the end of the tribulation and are ushered into the kingdom of Christ. But what I want you to notice is this false prophet operates the same way that Satan does. With deceit. With deceit. A strong deception, actually. And it covers the whole world and he has to reinvent or reinterpret um, the truth. He has to have some kind of trick to be able to do that. Christ deals with truth. Satan has to... The truth is not on Satan's side. He has to twist it. And, and we see that. We see through his political maneuvering, his force and his deception. But folks, we are called... We are called to not be deceived. Throughout the Bible, Paul's constantly saying, I don't want you to be unaware, brother. I want you to be aware. I don't want you to be deceived. And I want you to see this verse. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 6, here's a command. And it's actually several times. But verse 6, it says, Let no one deceive you with empty words. Don't be deceived. Okay? You have that. You say, well, how in the world can you not be deceived? I mean, deception is something that's, that I don't will to do. I'm being deceived, right? How can I control if I'm deceived or not? Look at, back to verse, chapter 14 and verse 4, uh, chapter 4 and verse 14. You see that on your screen here. He says, he tells us earlier how to not be deceived. Chapter 4 in Ephesians, verse 14, As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by wave and waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful schemings. That's Satan's, that's the way Satan operates. Deceitful schemings. And so, how do we, how do we avoid this? How do we uh, not be uh, caught uh, by, in, in these tricks? The answer is in verse 13. He says, to be a mature man. To the maturity of the statue which belongs to Christ. We are to grow up. We are to grow up spiritually. We are to take on adult responsibilities. Now, let me try to illustrate this a little bit. As adults, we like to be. We like illusions, don't we? We kind of like to be deceived. I saw a, a little uh, uh, video. Um, it was a, a, a show just a couple nights ago, turned it on. It was, it's called Fool Us. And it's these magicians trying to fool these other magicians on, on how they do the trick. And the other magicians have to, have to uh, guess how they did the trick. And, and sometimes they're wrong. And, but we like to be fooled. We, we kind of like that. We'll pay money to see that. We'll, it's kind of entertainment for us. Um, kids are very easy to fool. Right? Remember when you were young? Okay, when I was young. Maybe it was just me. When I was young, I saw my uncle. He pulled off his thumb. I saw it. When, and then he turns, it, turns to me and he pulls off my nose. I saw it wiggle. Right? You, you experienced that. And I was so glad that he put it back on. There was a moment of panic there. 
We're easily fooled. I saw, growing up a little bit, I saw a man saw a woman in half, right? You've seen those. And then we saw that one of the biggest tricks was the, the uh, Statue of Liberty disappeared. It's amazing. Now, as adults, we can comprehend that. We can see through that, right? Just tricks, smoking uh, mirrors, right? We, we don't get caught up in that. We don't spend my life, how did he do that, man? That's amazing. No, we just, we just know. We like to be full. It's kind of entertaining, right? Because we are mature. We can see through that. And the same thing has to happen spiritually. We are commanded, don't be deceived. Be mature. Grow up. Know this Word so that you can discern, so that you're not deceived. Because you're going to need it. If you are going through this tribulation period, if these, these Christians are going through this tribulation period, they're going to have to know this Word. They're going to have to not be deceived. And folks, I'm telling you, today... Satan is still working. And he uses deception. He uses strong illusions and deceptions. And that's the way he operates. He operates by deception. That's exactly what we see in the false prophet. He operates by deceit. Let's look at the effect of his success. He has a measure of success. A great measure of success. Look in verse 16. And he causes... All the small and the great and the rich and the poor and the free man and the slave to be given a mark on his right hand or on his forehead. He provides that no one will be able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Numeric calculations there. Numbers equal the name or name. Somehow you, you have your... This mark. And he has influence. This is success, folks. He has world domination. The the small, that's the common people, the followers. The great, that's the influential people. Those movers and shakers. The rich. Those who control the the world's finances. The commerce. And the poor. Those who need it. And those who are dependent upon the money. And then there's the free man. Those who are independent. And then the not so free. The slaves. But they all take this mark. And the word mark is to be engraved. Now, we see this in the ancient world. In Rome, they, of course, would, would stamp a mark or an image image on their coins of their the emperor, right? We know that. But they would also tattoo or brand their slaves. Or maybe even some of the military men, special soldiers, or some loyal cultish Activity, devotees, worshippers. They would mark them. Now this is more than just a mark, right? You understand that. God used it in chapter 7 and verse 3. Remember the 144,000 that we talked about in chapter 7 in Revelation? And He marks them. He marks them out. And that means that He possesses them. He owns them. They are His. And He protects them. It's the same idea. These are His. They are giving themselves. They're giving themselves to worship the Antichrist. I'll do whatever you want me to do. They're followers of Him. A few years back, I read an an interesting article on on the zip code. You ever think about the zip code? Well, when that first came out, the Zoning Improvement Project, uh, everybody thought, oh, no, the mark of the beast. It's here. They can, you know, as the zip code. And, of course, they did the same thing with the Social Security number. Oh, mark of the beast, mark of the beast. 
And then we have the credit card. Oh, you just scan. Now we have the barcode and we have the little square code that whoever knows what that thing is. And we have the computer chip. And now we have a little size of a grain or or maybe a, a rice grain. And you can stick it inside your skin. And it's it's this little computer chip. And you can be tracked. You can scan things with it. Or it could be just as, as innocent as a, a rations card. Back in the World War II, certain countries, food was scarce. And they, they have to ration food. And it might be the same in the, in the tribulation period. They have to ration food and clothing and medical supplies. And, and so this one world government is established. And we have this one king that's over everything. And he controls who buys and who sells. That's a lot of control. And folks, what you see here is pressure. Pressure being put on these Christians. Pressure. Now we understand peer pressure, right? A little bit. This is even harder. This is deception. The world is deceived. All but you. Put yourself in that situation. All but you. And, and, you're de- and you, you don't understand why people can't see through it. But, and you say... I have to not even trust my eyes. I have to live by faith in this Word. I can't go by what I see. I have to have faith. That's pressure, folks. Because then your mind begins to play tricks. And, well, it's just a, it's just a mark. And then you have pressure from the family. Oh, just, just do it. I did it. There is no harm. It's just a little mark. It doesn't hurt. And you begin to get hungry when you don't. You can't buy or sell. You can't get a job. You get hungry and your family gets hungry. And then, of course, the peer pressure and the rationalization of your own mind. Well, yeah, maybe Satan working on you. It's the same thing today. It's the same thing today. But it's worship. It is worshiping Satan. That's exactly what it is. It's not just a mark. It's worshiping Satan. This antichrist person, along with the, the false prophet, is able to weed out who are the true Christians and who are the not. And they, and they will punish those. It's for the purpose of persecution that they single them out. But here's a word of wisdom. Verse 18. Here is wisdom. And he's going to let us know. He's going to tell us. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. Just just think it through, he says. For the number is that of a man. The number is that of a man. And his number is 666. So what, what is that about? Well, I don't know. <laughs> but we do know something here. And here's the point of what he's saying here. Now, there is a number of 666, and, and who this number is, and who this Antichrist is, and who this false prophet is, I don't know. And you could spend, you could spend all kinds of reading. Every commentary has their theory, and it's like there's no reason to speculate on those kinds of things. There's just not. But here's what we do know. The number of man is six. That's what he's saying here. It's six. It's not seven. Seven is the number of completion. It's the number of perfection. It's the number of God, right? Man's number is six, one less in perfection. We almost made the glory of God, but we fall short of the glory of God. Man's number is six, and that's what he's saying here. And the six, 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 all he's saying there is just emphasizing, being emphatic. It's He's just a man. He's just a man. 
He may look like God. He may be able to do all these miracles, but he's just a man. He's, he's a powerful man, but he's still just a man. And this Antichrist government singles the Christians out and they're going to be afraid. They're going to be isolated for the purpose of persecution and being able to, to track. And, and folks, this is going to be a slow, agonizing death for them. And what we see here is a real test. This is a real test, isn't it? It'd be something to for someone to come in and say, put a gun to my head and say, look, if you don't denounce Christ, I'm going to shoot you right now, right? And that would be quick, painless, be over with. Hey, fine, man, I'm not going to denounce Christ, boom. But when you're being starved to death, or when you're being starved out, when you're seeing your family hungry, and you're having to hide out in the woods and, and try to cultivate your own food and try to just get by, You know what? There will be those who stand. There will be those who overcome. And it will be the mature believers. The mature believers. They have conviction in this word. They see past this false disciple or false prophet. And they have conviction. The word of God. And here's what they say. They say, we will not bow. And I think, man, that's so good. That's the way I want to be. I mean, this is, this is not too bad, folks. We don't have it bad at all. These folks in this tribulation time, they say, we will not bow. They have the conviction of the Word of God. Let me give you a couple of verses. Let me remind you what uh, was read for us earlier in Matthew chapter 10, verse 33. Christ said, if you deny me before man, I will what? Deny you before... You know, that's pretty strong. That's pretty hard. I will not deny Christ, no matter how much pressure is put on me. I will not deny Him before. Man, I cannot deny Him. And then He goes on to say, He goes on to say, Fear Him who is able to kill both the body and the soul. We fear God greater than the Antichrist or anybody else. People like the Antichrist in our day. Oh yeah, they they were afraid of the Antichrist. I mean, He could kill the body, but He couldn't kill the soul, folks. And they take solace in that. Let me show you one verse, and I think I have it on the screen. It's just a few pages over in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10. And here's the right perspective. This is truth. This is reality. Everything stems from this. And it is, it says, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a, the Antichrist? No. Of people who are mean to us, people who are trying to starve us out? No. I mean, that's scary. But what's really terrifying is to fall into the hands of a living God. And that brings perspective to our life. That brought perspective to these believers during this tribulation time. And they're going through this tribulation time and they say, we will not bow. They will not. They will not deny Christ. Even though there's deception going on, even though they're being starved out, even though Satan is playing his political games and, and he's changing, trying to change reality. Listen, when we have the right understanding of Christ, when we have the right perspective of who Christ is, what he has done on the cross and our position in Christ, our vision becomes clear. It's just like flipping that little, that little glass. That little magnifying glass and everything becomes clear. When I was in college, 
I'd lived years without knowing that I needed glasses, you know? I just didn't know. And I borrowed somebody's glasses, I put them on. I, Man, is this what life is supposed to look like? Yeah, yeah. And so I went and had him checked, and I was blind as a bat. So they got me some glasses, and I, I put them on. I'm thinking, this is amazing. I could see so much clearer. So much clearer. Folks, we walk by light and not by darkness. We, like, we walk by the light of the truth of God's Word. We walk by the truth of God's Word. We are children of the light. We know the truth. Let's not be deceived. Let me end with this. The world, the world doesn't need an antichrist. It doesn't need that. What the world needs is the real Christ. To change the spiritual perspective of their life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you. Thank you for this word. Lord, we thank you for its richness. It informs our life, Lord. And if you could take care of those people in the tribulation period, you certainly can take care of us now. And Lord, we don't face any kind of pressure like they will in the future during that time. We don't, we don't face that at all. We have so much freedom. And we celebrate that freedom today, that freedom to worship. We, we enjoy that in this country. And, and Lord, it's, it's a precious thing. It's a wonderful thing. But Lord, help us to realize the responsibility that goes along with that is to, is to not bow. Not bow to Satan, but stand. Stand by faith in the Word of God against whatever forces Satan may bring our way. And we know he's alive and he's active, working on this world today. And he's, he's this roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Lord, if he comes after us, may we just with the conviction of the word of God say we will not bow. Lord, help us to stand. We thank you so much for informing us of these things so that we can have clarity in a world that seems to just have gone mad. And Lord, we thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.